Welcome to this session with Grace Point Church of Ephrata, Washington. I am thankful that you are here. Also welcome to any guests who may have found us on our Facebook page or on YouTube. Uh, we are glad you're here also. Uh, W.C. Fields was a, a comedian and actor in the early part of the 20th century. You may have seen some of his films, but uh, his philosophy of life, I think uh, some Christians unknowingly adopt his philosophy of life. And uh, he said these words, he said, smile the first thing in the morning and get it over with. <laughs> you know, uh, for many of us, our circumstances, maybe day-to-day -day life is uh, robbing us of joy. And uh, how do we unlock the door to living a joyful life? What is our purposes in life? You know, throughout uh, the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is addressing this whole issue of joyful living and living the Christian life, which should be a life of joy no matter what the adversities are. You know, circumstances, other people, possessions, anxiety and worry uh, can eradicate uh, joy from our day-to-day -day lives. But to be able to get our problems and our life into perspective and to enjoy the confidence and the hope in Jesus Christ that only he can give us, uh, we need to recognize that our perspective on life, which we talked about last week from the book of Philippians, our perspective on life is deeply influenced by our perceived purpose in life. Did you catch that? Our perspective on life is deeply influenced by our perceived purpose in life. You know, we can have many purposes in our lives and focus on certain purposes such as family, children, work, significance, fame, wealth, all of these things. But what is the supreme purpose for your life? The Apostle Paul models a life that has a laser-like focus, if you have read uh, throughout the New Testament, the life of Paul. He had a life that was lived certainly on purpose. Remember, as we return to the letter to the church at Philippi, the Philippian letter, if you take your copy of scripture, find that in your New Testament, and we're taking a journey through Philippians. But remember when Paul was writing this in about 61 or 62 AD, uh, he was imprisoned in Rome. He'd been on a, a long journey, a couple of years, and he was imprisoned, he was in bondage, chained to a Roman uh, centurion and uh, guarded there. And he faced threat of death and he faced uh, just betrayal by uh, other people, by his countrymen. He was provoked, but yet he was confident that everything would turn out well. If you read Romans, the book of Romans 8:28, he knew that all things were going to finish well. And humanly speaking, he was relying upon the prayers of his friends in the midst of his adversity and difficulty and the unfailing uh, hope of the Holy Spirit in his life. Uh, perhaps you need a new purpose in your life today, a refocusing, if you will, a recognition that perhaps your perspective on your current circumstances is not quite accurate and uh, you need your purpose in life. Uh, you need to be living on purpose in that sense. Well, if you take your copy of scripture, turn to the letter of Philippians and we will begin again back in verse 18, the second part of 18. Uh, I'm going to pray and then we will look at this uh, passage. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day of life. We thank you for the Veterans Day that we previously observed. Thank you for those who are veterans. Thank you for those who sacrificed for our country. 
and for the freedoms we enjoy today. We thank you and praise you for that. We thank you for your word given to us in our own language. What a privilege that not all Christians around the world enjoy. And Lord, we thank you for those in Bible translation, those who have dedicated their lives to translating scripture into the heart language of various tribes, tongues, and nations. And uh, we are the recipients of, of that in our own country. And Lord, we thank you for the, your word. Thank you for giving us the freedom to own as many copies as we would like. And this day, <clears throat> just guide our thoughts, our minds, and use your word, apply it to our hearts, we pray that we would be changed and transformed because of this time together in your word, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Remember uh, last week or last session in chapter one of the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul in verse 12, he wants the readers, the people reading this letter to know that my circumstances have turned out for a greater progress of the gospel. Some translations have my happenings. And all of us have happenings in our lives, don't we? Our circumstances. And as I said last week, and I've uh, reflected on that this week, that uh, how have my circumstances uh, contributed and turned out for a greater progress of the gospel? Uh, the Apostle Paul could see it even as he was in prison, the whole Praetorian Guard, the, uh, the Caesar's household, the guard was impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even though he was facing difficulty and betrayal and adversity, he could say in verse 18, And this I rejoice in the fact that Christ was being proclaimed or preached, and his word was going forth. And in verse 18b, he says, Yes, I will rejoice. And this begins a new paragraph. And why is he rejoicing? In verse 19, he tells us, 18 through 20, there's an earnest expectation he has an earnest expectation in his purpose for his life. Look at verse 19, well, beginning in that paragraph. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through the prayers and provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation, underline, and hope, underline, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And so he had this earnest expectation that through the prayers of the people, the provision of the Holy Spirit for, to empower him and encourage him, even as he's in great adversity, he has an earnest expectation and hope that he will not be put to shame in anything. He doesn't know whether he will be delivered from his physical bondage, but he does know that whether he lives or whether he dies, uh, he, is, uh, <clears throat> he is safe and secure with the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, back in 19, he knows that this will turn out for my deliverance. That word is the word that sometimes is translated salvation. And he's not talking about his eternal salvation, his justification. He's talking about the completion, whether it's by life or by death, of God's purposes for his life. And so he has an earnest expectation, first of all. And for us, what are we earnestly expecting? What are we counting on and what are we placing our hope in? Uh, you know, I think many people have put their hope in whatever government is uh, in power at a certain time. They're putting their hope in whatever uh, the deliverance from this pandemic or deliverance from uh, difficulties that you may have personally, but ultimately our earnest expectation is not in those things, but it is uh, in the deliverance in our ultimate salvation in Jesus Christ. 
And also there is a, a key here for us how to pray for others. We are to pray for others and pray for those who are in difficulty and adversity, whether they be our family members, our friends, our neighbors, uh, those we work with, those we're in school with, wherever we find ourselves to pray for others, and especially within uh, the local church, within the local church of Jesus Christ. And that's why we have a prayer ministry here so you can share your prayer requests. All you need to do is call our offices and, and share with Maddie what your prayer request is. And we will get that out to the prayer team because it is a privilege to pray for one another. And uh, so I encourage you to do that. Have an earnest expectation that Jesus Christ is in power and he is uh, the one who is carrying everything to completion. And Paul wants even now, as always, to everything to be exalted in my body, whereby, whether by life or death. He doesn't want to fail in the last days of his life. So earnest expectation. In verses 21 through 24, the Apostle Paul has an alert anticipation. He has an alert anticipation, and probably the most well-known verse is verse 21 out of this whole letter. For to, me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And of course, we hang on to that verse and recognize that the Apostle Paul uh, was declaring that, that the possibility of his physical death was at hand. Uh, different translations and versions uh, translate this different ways. Listen as I read a few of them. The Living Bible uh, which is a paraphrase, actually, says uh, they've translated this. For me to live means opportunities for Christ and dying. Well, that's better yet. Uh, the New Living Translation says for me to live for me for to me living is for Christ and dying is even better. Uh, the New Testament in modern English, which is J.B. Phillips, a classic uh, translation of Philippians, reads, For living to me means simply Christ, and if I die, I should merely gain more of him. Uh, some of you remember the Good News Bible, and it says, For what is life? To me it is Christ. Death then will even bring more of him. So what is the sum of all this? You know, the, the secret to living a joy-filled life is uh, revolves around the centrality of Jesus Christ. Remember that our perspective on life is deeply influenced by our perceived purpose in life. And the Apostle Paul, remember in Acts 9, he had such an amazing experience. In Acts 9, he was known as Saul. He was a Pharisee, a persecutor of the followers of Christ, even murdering some. And uh, Jesus Christ got a hold of his life on the Damascus Road, changed him in an instant, and he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, we often look at that and think, wow, what an amazing transformation. What an amazing salvation experience. And yet, I think, and as I hear people's testimonies about how Jesus Christ rescued them from eternal damnation and saved them, everybody's testimony is an amazing, miraculous event. Now, Jesus Christ opened your eyes, my eyes, to the truth that when we believe in him, we will have everlasting life and the assurance of that. But one writer has said about the Apostle Paul after the Acts 9 experience that his life was inextricably bound up with Jesus Christ. He was hopelessly addicted to the presence of Christ. Philippians 3, this writer writes. Secondly, he was desperately dependent upon the power of Christ. In Galatians 2, Romans 15, we see that. Thirdly, he was utterly abandoned to the program of Christ, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. 
And fourth, he was passionately jealous for the person of Christ here in Colossians 1 and Romans 15. And so we see the presence of Christ, the power of Christ, the program of Christ, the person of Christ is part of the believer's life. It is in, just bound up together with him. And so I have to ask you the question, as the word asks me the question personally, if we said, for me to live is blank. For me to live is blank. How would you fill in that blank? How do you fill in that blank? Uh, Charles Swindoll in his commentary on Philippians kind of helps put in perspective uh, some of the details that uh, we may miss here. And he asked these questions, the elements, he supplies other elements to that formula for me to live is blank. He says these things. He says, for me to live is money and to die is to leave it all behind. Or for me to live is fame, but to die is to be quickly forgotten. For me to live is power and influence and to die is to lose both. For me to live is possessions, and to die is to, to depart with nothing in my hands. That's uh, Charles Swindoll's take on that. And that helps focus uh, that question. For me to live is what is, and we're talking about ultimate purpose. No matter where we're at in life, what stage in life, no matter what adversities we are going through, we're still, if we're still breathing, we're still living. For me to live is Christ. And <clears throat> to die is gain. We talked last week a little bit about the fact that uh, Jesus Christ is righteous and holy. He holds the keys to death and he is, will not make any mistakes. And Psalm, the psalmist in Psalm 139 tells us that he numbers our days. And so we will die on time. That's talking about physical death there. And so in this passage in, <clears throat> excuse me, in verses 21 through 24, uh, he, he talks about living for Christ in verse 22. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard pressed from both, both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is very much better. Verse 24. Yet to remain on the flesh in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So the Apostle Paul he is letting the readers know, he's letting us know that there is a crisis moment here in a sense. And he is wrestling. He would rather be in heaven. And yet he knows that there are others who still need his ministry. And so he is hard pressed from both directions. It's having this desire to depart. In fact, the word that's translated desire there in verse 21, or excuse me, verse uh, 23, having the desire to depart. The word desire there is the same word that's translated lust in other places in Scripture. In fact, this is one of only two times that Paul uses this word in its noun form in a positive sense. So it's that kind of uh, you know, strength of the flesh that he wants to, to, he has this great desire. And then the word that's translated depart here means to unloose or undo. And it was used in uh, secular literature of the time for a ship being loosened from its moorings and allowed to sail back to its, its home port. It also was a military term for soldiers taking down their tents and moving on to the next place. The word was also used as a legal term in setting prisoners free. 
And then finally, it was also an agricultural term when a farmer unyoked his oxen from the plow so they could rest. And this is the idea here. The Apostle Paul has this desire, this positive lust to depart and be with Jesus Christ. Uh, but if God was done unloading cargo from the apostles' life, then Paul was keen to get back home. He was ready to go at any moment. And the reason is clearly given to be with Christ, which is better, uh, much more better, actually. It's a superabundant kind of better that the Apostle Paul intensifies that he would experience. And for the believer in Jesus Christ, we should be intense about the fact that this life is not all there is, that when this life is over, we have eternal life. We already possess it now, but we will be realized, we will realize our everlasting life. The joys and glories of heaven will be thoroughly obliterate the heartaches, the pains, the shadows of death on earth in comparison. We can read Romans 8 and see that that's the truth. Death then is a hope. And so the Apostle Paul is alert in his anticipation. He has this great hope, even in the midst of difficulty. Isaac Asmanoff tells the story of a rough ocean crossing on a passenger ship during which a man named Mr. Jones became terribly seasick. I can identify with that. At an especially rough time at sea, a kindly steward patted, uh, patted Mr. Jones on the shoulder and said, I know, sir, that it seems awful, but remember, no man ever died of seasickness. Mr. Jones lifted his green countenance to the steward's concerned face and replied, Man, don't say that. It's only the wonderful hope of dying that keeps me alive. Uh, so this aspect of death is the hope. There is an alert anticipation of what God is doing. And so the question remains, for me to live is, what is my purpose? Remember that our perspective on life is deeply influenced by our perceived purpose on life. If our purpose is focused on all these other things, which ultimately will end, uh, and yet if we miss Christ, we miss everything. In verses 25 and 26, not only an earnest expectation, an alert to anticipation, but there's a clear confidence the Apostle Paul tells us about and also encourages us to focus on. A clear confidence. Look at verse 25. <clears throat> convinced of this, okay, he's convinced, he has a certitude, a certainty. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. He had joy in the faith or joy because of the faith. And Paul, their joy was not rooted in favorable circumstances. Remember the church at Philippi was in a Roman city. It was a colony and it was full of uh, uh, Greeks and Romans. It was a pagan city. It was at a crossroads, a major trade route. And it was a pagan environment. And yet this church, these believers in Jesus Christ, knew that their hope and their joy was not rooted in favorable circumstances, but in our unfaltering Lord. Remember that. Our joy is not rooted in our favorable circumstances, but in our unfaltering Lord, because our circumstances change from day to day, perhaps even moment to moment sometimes. And so here the Apostle Paul wants them to progress in the gospel. And that word progress is the, the idea of a pioneering work, of opening new land. It is to cut forward. It is to keep going. 
and not give up. So the Apostle Paul is telling us to, in this purpose in life, our perspective on life is deeply influenced by our perceived purpose in life, our earnest expectation, our alert anticipation, and our clear confidence. And where does it all lie? It's in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. I was thinking about uh, this time in our lives right now and where our hope and where your hope lies and where your purpose in life lies, no matter if there's a pandemic or uh, you know, social upheaval, political problems, all of these things that uh, we face. And as families face uh, educating their children and just everything that seems so complex and complicated in our lives today. And I thought of the prophet, the minor prophet Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk had interesting perspective. At the end of Habakkuk, in fact, in uh, chapter 3 of Habakkuk in the Old Testament, verses 17 through 19, there we see that he finishes up this letter, or this, this prophecy, basically. And he writes in verse 17, Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, Though the yield of the olives should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. What a great promise. And Habakkuk is reflecting the apostle, what the Apostle Paul has just said about our, our joy in the midst of our circumstances. That even though uh, we're in a pandemic and maybe it won't end for quite a while, even though life is difficult, even though uh, things are not open, even though life is not going as it used to go, even though <clears throat> maybe some are uh, having great difficulty, whether in their business or employment or raising children, even though all these things, and yet verse 18, it is that word yet, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. What a beautiful picture of walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who enables us. He is our purpose in life. And it puts the correct perspective on our lives. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day of life. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the letter to the Philippian church. And I thank you for each one who is viewing this. And I pray, Lord, that you use the word of God in each heart that is here and that you would transform us for your glory and for the good of your people. Remind us that you have purposes for our lives. Remind us that you never leave us or forsake us. Remind us that we can have great expectation, anticipation and clear confidence in you, our Savior and Lord. For it's in his name I pray. Amen and amen.